Bader Ginsburg's passing has left a giant question mark over what happens to her seat on the Supreme Court. BuzzFeed News Courts reporter Zoe Tillman is with us to break down what this means for the cases the court is set to hear. And we've got a preview of our interview with former Housing Secretary Julian Castro. We asked him what he thinks Democrats should do if Ginsburg's seat is filled before the election. The date, September 21st, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey everyone, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. That singing you heard at the top of the show was from Friday evening, when people gathered on the steps of the Supreme Court in D.C. to mourn the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She passed away at the age of 87, surrounded by her family in D.C. The news came like a lightning bolt around 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday evening, sending the 2020 election and the internet as a whole into a tailspin. Ginsburg had been on the court since 1993 and in recent years built up a cultural following, both for her position as an anchor on the court's left and her continuing grit. It definitely helped that along the way she picked up the nickname, the Notorious RBG. The last time a Supreme Court seat was open in an election year was when Justice Antonin Scalia died in 2016. As you might recall, former President Obama nominated federal judge Merrick Garland to fill that seat. But... This is what Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had to say at the time. The next justice could fundamentally alter the direction of the Supreme Court and have a profound impact on our country. So, of course, of course, the American people should have a say in the court's direction. And current Senate Judiciary Chair Lindsey Graham had this to say back in 2016. If a opening comes in the last year of President Trump's term and the primary process has started, we'll wait to the next election. And I've got a pretty good chance of being the judiciary. You're on the record. Yeah. All right. Hold the tape. President Trump was in the middle of a campaign rally when the news of her death broke, but had this to say soon after leaving the stage. She just died? Wow. I didn't know that. I just, uh, you're telling me now for the first time. She led an amazing life. What else can you say? She was an amazing woman. Whether you agreed or not, she was an amazing woman who led an amazing life. I'm actually sad to hear that. I am sad to hear that. Thank you very much. Democrats, for their part, have said that the seat should be filled by the next president using the precedent that McConnell set four years ago. You can be sure it's going to be a fight that we're going to be hearing about for weeks to come. Ooh, yeah. I mean, when that news broke, I think, I mean, Twitter, Twitter broke and every text group broke. I mean, I don't know how many friends, specifically my friends who are women, were texting back and forth because this was this is just such a big and notable death. And what was sad, I think one of the tweets was was just like, we didn't even have time to process this death because immediately everyone was like, what does this mean for the Supreme Court and the election? And Roe v. Wade, like, what does this mean for so many different facets of life in America that, yeah, I agree, we had no time to really process. Mm hmm. Yeah, it was like, okay, what's next? How? What do we do? Tell us, please. Right. I was actually taking the dog outside when the news broke. I, I looked at my phone. I was happened to check Slack, saw that the news had just broken. And I, I made sure I was not going to tell my fiance until, you know, for as long as possible, just to hold off. I come up the elevator with the dog. The door is open. And I hear inside my apartment, 
no. I'm like, yep. No. I'm like, yeah, I stay through the door as I get my keys out. Uh, okay, that wasn't the only thing that happened since you last heard from us, and we're going to be diving more into this story later on in the episode. So for now, here's the rest of today's top stories. You may get to keep your TikTok after all. A new deal seems like it will keep the app from being blocked in the U.S. Maybe, possibly. The details are still very sketchy. The short version is that the Chinese company ByteDance is setting up a company called TikTok Global to run operations in the U.S. It'll be made up of ByteDance, the tech company Oracle, and now Walmart. Oracle is set to have a 12.5% stake in TikTok Global, while Walmart is set to purchase a 7.5% stake. But a problem. Both ByteDance and Oracle are fighting over the details of the deal. Based on what we know so far, it seems like ByteDance will still own the remaining 80% of TikTok Global. Since 40% of ByteDance itself is owned by U.S.-based venture capital firms, the Trump administration could technically claim the new company is majority U.S.-owned. Sorry for all the math on a Monday. Oracle says, though, that ByteDance won't be involved at all in the new venture, and ByteDance made clear it wasn't going to give up ownership of TikTok's proprietary algorithm. President Trump said this weekend that he's approved the deal, quote, in concept, and the Department of Commerce did delay its ban on TikTok for another week. But today, Trump says if ByteDance has anything to do with TikTok Global, he won't sign off on the deal. And finally, millions, nay, billions of dollars in criminal activity have flowed through some of the biggest banks in the world, and the banks knew it was happening all along. BuzzFeed News launched a major investigative series over the weekend called the FinCEN Files. Last year, the investigations desk received thousands of documents leaked from the U.S. Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN. When a bank observes transactions that suggest money laundering or other illegal activity, they draft one of these suspicious activities reports to the Treasury. BuzzFeed News combed through those documents with the help of dozens of other newsrooms and in cooperation with the International Consortium for Investigative Journalists. And what they found was evidence of about $2 trillion, again, $2 trillion worth of transactions between 1999 and 2017 that were deemed suspicious. Transactions which neither the banks nor the government moved to shut down. We're going to be going more in depth into some of what they uncovered next week, but for now, you can either go to buzzfeednews.com slash FinCEN, that's F-I-N-C-E-N dash files, or you can subscribe to the new podcast, Suspicious Activity, wherever you get your sound stories. Okay, so I know we are going to be talking about it at some point, but what does suspicious mean and why was nothing done? (laughs) So suspicious means like, oh man, it is really weird that this company is giving all this money to this weird shell company. We don't know what's going on here, man, but it looks like it could be crimes. That's like the lowest level. At the highest level, it's like, uh, we're pretty sure North Korea is using this set of maneuvers to get around international sanctions and funnel money around. But why did nothing get done? Uh, profits and laziness. I mean, it's, it's really just a, a great example of how big banks and big finance, you know, hides in the shadows, like a lot of what they do. And as far as, you know, why didn't government get involved? Well, I mean, the banks did their job, which is to say, like, as soon as they flagged this activity to Treasury, they could basically say, and that's that. We have done enough. And the government 
it's up to them to like file charges, et cetera. And there have been cases where that happened, but for most of these files, not so much. Um, so now my second question for you today on this Monday, uh, oh, where in the hell did Walmart come from in this TikTok conversation? <laughs> Flying out from the rafters <laughs> to suplex this deal. I mean, they were in talks for a while now, but I mean, they didn't really seem to have like a major chance of outright buying TikTok. But them as a partner with Oracle in this new weird venture thing, sure, I guess. I don't know. It's all bonker balls at this point like i i we're, i'm going to be sorting through this for almost as long as i feel like they sorted through all those suspicious activity reports <laughs> all right so that i think is enough of the sad big news for a second let's take a break from all this for some pop culture casey <laughs> yes well the big story from the emmys last night is that shit's creek won a shit ton of awards hey is that pun was for you <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the levity, the levy levity. No. Okay, we're done. Moving on. (laughs) Yes, Schitt's Creek won big, absolutely sweeping the comedy categories. Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Dan Levy, and Annie Murphy all won for their acting. And the show also won for outstanding writing and overall outstanding comedy. No show has ever completely swept like that before, and honestly, it seemed like they could barely believe it either. Like the extremely polite Canadians that they are, they made sure to thank everyone else who was nominated, too. Here was Dan Levy during his speech accepting the Outstanding Writing Award. Oh my goodness. I guess this is it. Thank you to all of the fellow nominees in this category. Um, It was an honor to be nominated alongside you. And I also want to recognize Issa Rae and the writers on Insecure for writing some of the funniest, most heartfelt television of the year. Thank you. This is absolutely incredible. Thank you to the Academy for this tremendous honor. Thank you so much. The other big winners of the night were HBO Succession and Watchmen, which took home a bunch of awards, including Best Drama and Best Limited Series, respectively. And 24-year-old Zendaya winning Outstanding Actress in a Dramatic Series for her role in HBO's Euphoria was one of the most delightful surprises, including for Zendaya herself. To the TV Academy, um, to all the other incredible women in this category, I I admire you all so much. This is... um this is pretty crazy. I don't really cry. Okay. You could hear some of Zendaya's family and friends in the background there shushing each other since like all of the winners, she delivered her speech from home. It was part of a kind of weird, kind of awkward Emmy ceremony, one where the presenters were socially distanced from host Jimmy Kimmel and interns in hazmat tuxedos delivered the statues. Why? The the hazmat suits was a weird touch. I gotta say, that one, I'm like, question mark on that, kids. That was like like a joke and a bit that went too far. And then it it was like, we've come this far, we have to keep it now. (laughs) We already bought the suits. What else are we going to do with them? Really quick, hell yeah to Watchmen. The shout out to the Tulsa Massacre that the uh, writers gave was so important. I, I really just appreciate what that show did and how so many of the people... Up for acting awards were black because without giving too much away, it was a very black show. Right, yes. Jumping off of that, I will say that I do feel as if the Emmys was a little bit of lip service towards the we support black artists because it was a lot of talk of we support black artists, but will they win? Not quite yet. But to be fair, yes, we we, we had people like Regina King win, Zendaya, etc. There were wins. But I, I think really where it was like 
mostly seen was in that streak of Shit's Creek, you know? And it's a great show, and it took six years for them to win anything. Catherine O'Hara winning that Best Acting, that was deserved. If she never took home an Emmy for Moira, that would be a complete shame. But I think Dan Levy even said it in his in his Best Writing speech, you know? Issa Rae. Season four of Insecure is their best season. They have done an outstanding job. And so, yeah, it's a shame we didn't get to see that. And then also, I have to I have to give a shout out to The Good Place. Their finale was absolutely outstanding. And so it's just tough. I'm happy for Chits Creek, but I'm sad for also what could have been. Oh, boy. Well, at least, no, The Good Place is done. Oh, man. Yep. Yep. Well, sad. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens next year, I guess, if we have an Emmys, if we have television. <laughs> okay. BuzzFeed News court reporter Zoe Tillman is with us after this quick break. Stick around. It. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Hi, I'm Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and we're the hosts of the science podcast, Stuff to Blow Your Mind, where every week we get to explore some of the weirdest questions in the universe. Like, if sci-fi teleportation was possible, how would it square with the multitudes of organisms that inhabit our human bodies? Can we find evidence of emotions in animals like bees, ants, and crayfish? How would an interplanetary civilization function? Does free will exist? Stuff to Blow Your Mind examines neurological quandaries, cosmic mysteries, evolutionary marvels, and the wonders of techno-history. Basically, this show is the altar where we worship the weirdness of reality. If anybody ever told you you ask the weirdest questions, it is time to come join us in the place where you belong, the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast. New episodes publish every Tuesday and Thursday with bonus episodes on Saturdays. Listen to Stuff to Blow Your Mind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For my small bookstore to thrive, I can't just sell books. So I created a radio ad at iHeartAdBuilder.com to tell everyone about our author events, our story hours for kids, and our amazing lattes. Now we're busier than ever. I'd call that a success story. A custom radio ad from iHeartAdBuilder is the fast, affordable way to drive customers to your business. Put the power of radio to work for you. Get started now at iHeartAdBuilder.com. Welcome back. For years before she passed on Friday, people were speculating about just when Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg would give up her seat on the Supreme Court. But her death still came as a surprise that left people around the country reeling and Washington scrambling to figure out what comes next. And nobody scrambled quite as hard as BuzzFeed News court reporter Zoe Tillman. Zoe, thank you so much for joining us after what I'm sure was a very busy weekend. Oh, thanks, guys. Happy to be here. So, Zoe, before we look forward, uh, let's take a moment to look back at Ginsburg's life. Uh, How is she most likely going to be remembered? She will be remembered as one of the 
pioneering, not just women lawyers and justices of the 20th century, but one of the pioneering lawyers and justices of the 20th century. She was a driving force in reshaping how the law treats men and women, not just women, but men and women equally under the law and the Constitution. Um, she was a, a highly success, successful women's rights lawyer before becoming a judge, and then as a, a judge on the D.C. Circuit, and then as a justice on the Supreme Court, she became really the voice of the court's liberal wing, especially in her later years, writing on not just women's rights issues, but voting rights and you know, a host of other issues that really matter to the liberal community. Um, and I think, you know, her voice will be missed in terms of the law and her presence will certainly be missed as just a, a towering figure for women and girls. If you had to say which case she'll be most connected with, which would it be? I mean, one of her favorite opinions that she wrote was early on in her tenure where uh, the court concluded that the Virginia Military Institute's ban on women students violated the Constitution. It was sort of a, an early clarion call from the new Justice Ginsburg about, um, you know, how the Constitution protected the rights of women to be equal players across society. Uh, her dissent on equal pay issues later in her tenure, where the court had ruled against a woman who had sued over or paid disparities and gender discrimination, that dissent became legislation, which is very rare um, for court dissents. So, you know, I think it really spans the, the length of her career on the bench. So each of the justices on the court wrote out statements of condolence after Ginsburg's passing. Uh, did any of those stand out to you? One of them did. I mean, they were all very heartfelt. She was a beloved member of the court and by all accounts, just a delightful person to be around and to work with. But Justice Souter, who's now retired from the court, wrote the shortest remembrance, but to me was the sweetest, and I, I pulled it up so I could read it. He wrote, Ruth Ginsburg was one of the members of the court who achieved greatness before she became a great justice. I loved her to pieces, period. I thought that was just really beautiful. So that stood out to me. There are still a few cases that the Supreme Court is supposed to hear before the end of the year, including one involving Obamacare. How will Ginsburg's death likely affect those cases? Uh, historically, when the court has been down a justice, I mean, that means that there are eight justices, which raises the potential for a tie vote. And when there's a tie, it means the court doesn't set new law. It leaves unsettled issues for the rest of the federal judiciary, which is not ideal. So when there are really high profile cases, like, for instance, the future of the Affordable Care Act, it's, it's likely that the court will hold off issuing a decision, especially if it seems like there's going to be a 4-4 split that's happened before. And what they'll do is, you know, they'll hear arguments this fall, but they may wait to issue a decision and then rehear arguments once their new colleague is on the bench at some later time. So it could really push off a decision on the fate of Obamacare well into 2021. And that could be true for any number of cases. There's another pending fight before the court about whether House Democrats can get grand jury materials from the Mueller investigation, sort of another one of these big Congress versus executive branch fights. And that could also get kicked down the road. So, you know, it, it may just delay how long it takes for resolution on some of these very key issues before the court this term. 
Last week, you wrote about all the cases that the Trump campaign and GOP are in the middle of litigating ahead of the election. What are the odds one of them winds up before the Supreme Court? Extremely high. (laughs) Um, Great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've already had a few cases that have come up to the Supreme Court where lower courts have tried to block states that are trying to make it harder to vote by mail or remotely during the pandemic. And those have come up to the Supreme Court in emergency postures. And the majority, the conservative majority of the court so far has ruled in favor of states and temporarily blocked these injunctions from taking effect. So it's very likely that, especially as it gets closer to the election, and there are really last-minute issues around how people can vote, how their ballots are counted, when their ballots are counted, those could all very easily get kicked up to the court and bounce sort of ping-pong up and down. And then, you know, we're all bracing for an election that's not decided on November 3rd, especially given how many people will be voting by mail. So to the extent there's a fight over counting absentee ballots, the legitimacy of mail-in ballots, you know, that could all come up to the Supreme Court um, in the weeks and months, God help us, after November. So is there a chance, though, that we get like a full-on 2000 Bush v. Gore situation where the Supreme Court actually says, okay, that's it, we're done counting here, the winner is whomstever? You know, it's funny, I was thinking this morning how far we've come in 20 years that it's probably not going to be about physical ballots this time, right? In 2000, it was the hanging chads. It was the pictures of election officials like holding up these paper ballots, trying to see what was punched. And now it's going to be a lot more technological in terms of, you know, how, how, you know, all the ballots that are mailed in, how they're counted by machines or, you know, what happens on that front. But, you know, I think there are just so many unknowns and this is so unprecedented. I mean, we have, I think, more than 300 cases pending right now around the election already, which is phenomenal. That is uh, crazy numbers. Totally bananas. <laughs> um, uh. I got to I got to and I just got to point out that both Justice Brett Kavanaugh and Chief Justice John Roberts worked on that case, Bush v. Gore, right? Correct. Yeah, it was, you know, really a greatest hits of uh, lawyers who have gone on to become judges and justices, I think, on both sides. You know, the, the teams that worked on that, those lawyers have all gone on to, to high positions in Democratic and Republican administrations. So, no, I think, you know, we may expect to see a lot of the same players who were involved back in 2000. But, you know, it's it's there's just so much more litigation and there might be multiple cases that go up to the Supreme Court around this. It might not be just Florida. It could be, you know, Ohio and Florida and Pennsylvania. It's it's just so much broader this time around. We're going to be talking about the political fight over whether her seat will be filled before the election a lot in the coming weeks. For now, Trump has said that he's going to put forward a nominee and it'll be a woman. So we will uphold equal justice under the law for citizens of every race, color, religion, and creed. I will be putting forth a nominee next week. It will be a woman. One name that's come up a bunch in that regard is Amy Coney Barrett. What can you tell us about her? Judge Barrett was a law professor 
before she became a judge on the Seventh Circuit in 2017. She, you know, had a, a long, distinguished career as an academic. But what Democrats and liberal groups have really gotten up in arms about with her is that she is publicly and deeply anti-abortion. And that was an issue when she came up for the Seventh Circuit. It will be an issue if she is the nominee, you know, to the extent this nomination fight is about abortion. That's what the administration is going to get if they nominate Judge Barrett, you know, for better or worse. It's it's something that can certainly mobilize the Republican base and especially the religious right. But it may also uh, make some moderate Republicans a bit more nervous about jumping in and, and really full-throatedly backing her. So to the extent that may be a problem, there are some other women that the president could choose from. Um, but Judge Barrett has really been the front runner from day one. Yeah. The other name we're hearing is Barbara Lagoa. What's her deal? Uh, Barbara Lagoa is a newer judge. She's on the 11th Circuit. She previously had been a justice on the state Supreme Court in Florida and before that had been an appeals court judge, state judge in Florida for a long time. You know, she is certainly very acceptable to the conservative legal community. She doesn't have the same name recognition as Judge Barrett, partly because she's just newer, but she has certainly conservative bona fides and uh, most recently was involved in a very high profile decision out of the 11th Circuit uh, where the court ruled that people with past felony convictions in Florida, uh, where the state could prevent them from getting their voting rights back if they couldn't afford to pay back court fines and fees that they had incurred. So, you know, she is certainly joining and making a name for herself on the 11th Circuit, but doesn't have quite the same track record and political baggage, I would say, that Judge Barrett does. There are some people who've argued that Ginsburg should have stepped down a decade ago to make sure that her seat could be filled by a Democratic president. What do you think of that? That's tough, man. If I was a Supreme Court justice, I don't think I would want to give that up. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of unknowns with a Supreme Court vacancy. And when, you know, if you step down, you lose control over what happens to that seat. And, you know, there's also the fact that the first woman on the Supreme Court, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, has expressed regret that she left early and she had left the court to take care of um, some family issues. And it was, you know, for personal reasons, but since then has, has expressed regret about that. And that, that can't be unnoticed by the current justices. So, you know, it's, it's a political calculus that they have to make. And at a certain point they can look around and say, you know, I think I, I do more as a justice than leaving it up to the political process to decide what happens with my seat. And I suspect for Justice Ginsburg, that was, you know, very much the thinking. Well, Zoe, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure you're going to have another busy couple of weeks and possibly months ahead of you. So I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. Oh, indeed. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Before we go, we've got a little preview for you ahead of our conversation with former Housing Secretary Julian Castro that we're airing tomorrow. Justice Ginsburg is on everyone's minds, so we decided to take the opportunity to ask him about the late justice's legacy and what he sees for the court going forward. Have a listen. Last Friday, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. What was your reaction when you heard the news? Oh, it's very sad. And it's an earthquake a few weeks before the election. 
because her presence on the court uh, not only helped stave off uh, potentially what it would have been terrible for millions and millions of Americans, I think of the ACA decision. I think of the decision around marriage equality, Roe versus Wade over the years. So many important fundamental rights that she has been a champion of. Then also, she was a trailblazer in her own right, well before she even came to the court. And it was sad to see the passing of someone who has been uh, such an important part of making the words in our Constitution real. And, you know, I don't think that there will be anybody to ever quite replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And also, it's a reminder that we need to fight hard and push back against any kind of appointment that Donald Trump would try and make, uh, because Mitch McConnell is already engaging in hypocrisy. He stole a seat from Barack Obama, a Supreme Court seat, when Merrick Garland was uh, nominated a, a few years ago. And now he's doing a complete 180, Mitch McConnell is, and say, no, we're going to make sure that Trump's nominee gets a vote. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, you know, there needs to be more consistency than that. So there have been a lot of calls for Democrats adding more seats to the court if the GOP moves to fill the Ginsburg seat before January. What do you think about that idea? Well, look, I mean, if they're left no other choice, I, don't, I think for many of us, that would not be the first, you know, that's not wasn't our preference. But the fact is that you've had Mitch McConnell not abiding by, uh, not working in good faith under the Constitution, not allowing, uh, in the one on the one hand, a vote for a legitimately nominated person in Merrick Garland, and then flipping over because he wants to get his own party president's nominee in place, flipping over and saying, yeah, they're going to get a vote. If you have that kind of abuse of the system, then yeah, I think Democrats should be open to different ways that we can stave off uh, draconian changes to our fundamental rights, whether it's the overturning of Roe versus Wade or to, uh, to health care opportunity. The ACA is going to be decided in June of 2021. The arguments are going to be heard just a week after the election. So these are the stakes. You're talking about losing reproductive freedom. You're talking about losing uh, health care coverage for tens of millions of people in this country who depend on it. You're talking about the Voting Rights Act and you know the vision that people like Donald Trump and Stephen Miller and Mitch McConnell have of, you know, only people that look like them really have power or authority in this nation, that will become more real if, if the Supreme Court guts even more the Voting Rights Act. When those are the stakes, um, and, they, and Mitch McConnell's the one who's abused this system, then yeah, I think we need to be open to considering um, either adding more justices or other structural reforms that will prevent this kind of uh, abuse in the, in the future. That's our show for today. Come back tomorrow for the rest of that conversation with Julian Castro. And remember, dying wishes aren't in the Constitution, but I don't know, maybe they should be, I don't know, question mark. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Clock. 
Give your heart some love with circulation-boosting bioactives proven to improve blood flow for better oxygen and nutrient delivery. Boost circulation from day one for better cardiovascular performance that keeps improving over time. Try Cocovia Cardio Health Supplement, available as a capsule or a powder. Visit Cocovia.com today. That's C-O-C-O-A-V-I-A.com and use coupon code CCV20 to get 20% off your order. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. What's up, guys? I'm Rashad Bilal. And I am Troy Millings, and we are the hosts of the Earn Your Leisure podcast, where we break down business models and examine the latest trends in finance. We hold court and have exclusive interviews with some of the biggest names in business, sport and entertainment, from DJ Khaled to Mark Cuban, Rick Ross, and Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, our alumni list is expansive. Listen in as our guests reveal their business models, hardships, and triumphs in their respective fields. The knowledge is in-depth, and the questions are always delivered from your standpoint. We want to know what you want to know. We talk to the legends of business, sports, and entertainment about how they got their start, and most importantly, how they make their money. Earn Your Leisure is a college business class mixed with pop culture. Want to learn about the real estate game? Unclear as how the stock market works? We got you. Interested in starting a trucking company or a vending machine business? Not really sure about how taxes or credit work? We got it all covered. The Earn Your Leisure podcast is available now. Listen to Earn Your Leisure on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've always had the feeling that there's something strange about reality. According to the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast, there is. On the show, hosts Robert Lamb and Joe McCormick examine neurological quandaries, cosmic mysteries, evolutionary marvels, and much more. Prosthetics are true testaments to not only human craftsmanship and ingenuity, but also to the plasticity of the human brain. Listen to Stuff to Blow Your Mind on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by DuckDuckGo. Protect your privacy online for free with DuckDuckGo.